Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Have you been watching The Last Dance, Greg, the Michael Jordan documentary that everyone's raving about? No, because everyone's been raving about it and I'm being like a total contrarian because I've been your friend too long and I'm going to wait. Like, I think it's finally over, right? So I'll probably get to it in about two years. <laughs> no, maybe maybe, maybe a week. Um, but I'm still on my X-Files binge. <laughs> How's that going? Uh, it's so varied in quality, it's unreal. Like, churning out, whatever, 25 episodes a season, so many different writers, you can go from, like, oh, my God, this is five-star TV. This is, like, nearly as good as Swim Peaks. I mean, it's never nearly as good as Swim Peaks, but you, you get my drift, to just utter, utter trash. Um, There was one episode recently where, oh, yeah, like, it's, it's very dated and kind of problematic at times as well, as you can imagine. Like, so fucking Mulder just believes everything, right? He's like, the truth is out there. I want to believe. I'm just, every week is him being like the most ludicrous proposition. He's immediately like, Scully, this is what's happening. It's fucking aliens, right? And there was one episode where um, it's it was about ghosts in an old folks home. And it opened with, um, and uh, kind of trigger warning, about, but a nurse being uh, sexually assaulted by ghosts, Right. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, our fucking OG Mulder is going to be like the guy who started the whole I believe her thing. And for the first time ever, he's like, what are you talking about, Scully? She clearly just didn't like her job. I'm like, what is happening? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. He, he won it back by the end of the episode. He had his redemption, but oh, yeah, I was yeah. like, that's fucking classic, hell. That's what happened classic now? Duchovny, that's so, what you're getting. You're getting a 90s <laughs> smooth man. Last Dance is good. Uh, I will say this, though. Like, I'm, I'm, I just finished episode eight, right? And man, it becomes absolutely comical where, like, per episode, like, on this one, it happened about 10 times where someone, like, either, like, beat Michael Jordan in a game of basketball or 
or like didn't say hello to him in a restaurant or even he imagined a, a slight that happened between the two of them and then it's just him being like well then I had to just put 65 points on him and it's like bum 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 like music like tension music building and it's like you're a fucking sociopath like all you do is get people back and make them feel miserable yeah so that's the hook watch the show speaking of shows no encore My name is Dave Hanreddy and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 214. Has it been that many of the No Encore music podcast? Craig Fitzpatrick, how's the weather down in Leakslip, County Kildare? The weather's been good, Dave. How's it in Castleknock? It's grand, County yeah. Dublin. It's a bit overcast <laughs> right now, but I was out in the sun the other day. I had one single can of beer and the world felt magical. It was great. Oh my God, I haven't had a can of beer in the sunshine for such a long time, but I'm looking forward to it at some stage. You're missing out, my friend. Good to hear you You're missing out. Okay, yeah. so on this episode, right, we'll be reviewing the brand new 1975 record, Notes in a Conditional Form, that all the kids are talking about. I'm sure we'll have lots to say. And our top five this week will be pop songs that should have been massive, which I'm very much looking yeah. forward to. Uh, just a quick note, again, the show is on Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore, if you want to financially support the show in a time when everyone's losing their job. I will say this, though, right? Um... Like I recorded an episode of No Popcorn on Monday with Dave Higgins and Norma Howard, uh, which we were, we talked for almost two hours about the assassination of Jesse James by the carrot Robert Ford versus There Will Be Blood. It was exhausting. It was exhaustive. It was emotional. I really enjoyed it. It was certainly self-indulgent, but they're epic films and they require an epic conversation. And I hope the episode's going to be good, but... There was a moment of pure terror and dread, like more than anything Daniel Day-Lewis could conjure up where we finished it off. And I was like, grand, cool. I get to go watch The Last Dance now. This is going to be fun. And Norma's audio just like deleted itself immediately. And I was like, oh, no, like I was like, oh, great. Because like, what are you going to do? You can't, it can't be like, grand, we'll just have the, the two lads and, you know, all these gaps of silence. Phantom Norma. Yeah. yeah, it just wouldn't work. So I was like... You know, I was doing my best to just, like, not blow a fuse. And I was very much like, cool, look, listen, it happens, you know? Like, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, I can't be mad. It's no one's fault. We're all just trying our best here in this crazy life. And I guess we'll do it again. We can't do it again for, like, a, I, I literally said, I was like, maybe give me a week. I was like, because I can't just, like, repeat everything. And it's just a lot. So I was just like, oh, look, you know, it's a shame. But, like, whatever. Like, it, it's, it's not the biggest problem in the world. Whatever. So... Smash cut to a few hours later, right? And um, I get a message from Dahi, because it was recorded on Dahi's computer, much like at Christmas when we were in his gaff and a similar thing happened. And Dahi messages me and just says, how long like, was your audio? And I gave him back the number of it, you know, hour 54 or whatever. And he's like, just bear with me. About half an hour later, Dahi sends me this photograph of what appears to be like the Matrix, like the code in the Matrix or something. And I'm like, I know. what the fuck is this? And he just goes... I've got it. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. He's like, he's he basically like said that he managed to go in. I can see the audio <laughs> of the past. <laughs> he went into this, like he found all these binary codes and managed to like uh, somehow figure out that the audio was still in the system. He created a sound file out of raw data. He became a hacker on the spot. Apparently he didn't sleep that night. He was so excited by what he had done. And yeah, the good news is the episode has been fucking saved. We don't need to record Unreal. it again. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't get over it. Uh, that episode is coming soon. But 
why am I tying all this into the Patreon plug? Well, here's why. We haven't really had a lot of bonus content to put out on Patreon just yet, and we will have something very, very soon, because I almost wish I didn't tell you until now, Craig, but Craig knows already. Uh, on the 13th of December, Friday the 13th of December 2019, Craig, Dahi and I convened in Dahi's house to record the final uh, No Encore episodes of the year, so the songs of the year and the albums of the year. Two separate episodes, Beautiful over years, a way to see out the year. We recorded the first episode about an hour and a half long. Same thing happened. Dahi went to save it. It erased itself. We were ashen-faced and then had to go and record another feature-length episode. Of course, listeners of the show will know that I then recorded the Songs of the Year episode again by myself the next day in my room, nervous as fuck, dry mouth all over the place, tried my very best to somehow incorporate three three different people's opinions into one episode. And as it turned out, it, it became this kind of weird thing where the recording that episode actually managed to result in an awful lot of people getting in touch with me and telling me how much they love the show and they appreciate the effort and all that kind of stuff and it was like like it, w- it was a happy accident essentially Dahi saved that episode too we have it we actually have the episode from the, from the from, Could not I, I can't believe, believe it, it. <laughs> it's unbelievable and also nearly as good was how happy Dahi was as well just proud as punch <laughs> Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, in the process, Dahi has got lost in the No Encore back end and he's become one with the podcast. So we'll never see him again. Uh, but yeah. we have the episode. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Reduced so like, to ones and zeros. But we listen, all, we, a we sacrifice. Have all, was... we, we have all we need. So, yeah, the point is um, very, very soon I will be putting that episode up on Patreon and you can have a listen to that. Uh, it was surreal. So, yeah, better like six months later, eh? I mean, like, you know, better late than never. But you will get to hear myself, Dahi, and Craig as it was originally recorded, our songs of the year for 2019. I went back and I listened to it just to make sure it was actually a thing that does exist, and it does. And I must say, I think it's a really fucking good episode. I think it's, it's got a lot of yeah, fun Yeah, I energy. thought we did pretty well. It was, yeah. that's it, like, why it was so <laughs> devastating. It was devastating. And then yeah. to have to record another one, it was just... Anyway, yeah, Dahi was saying that at one moment in the episode, I go, um, yeah, 2019 was a, a pretty heavy year. And he's just like... Oh, how little you know, past Greg, how little you know. Oh man, I won't spoil it too much, but there's a moment in it when I basically predict the year that we're in right now, so I don't know how that happened either. But listen, that last episode, back, 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 very excited. It will be on our feed on Patreon very soon, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to get it, and hopefully the people who have already subscribed will enjoy it. Uh, it's a weird, weird feeling, uh, but yeah, and thankfully it's like, thankfully like it, it, it's, it's proof as well that I didn't just switch the songs around or anything. It's the same list, but it's obviously got much <laughs> different perspectives on it. And yeah, let's just dive into the news now after all that. Um, very exciting news. Speaking of, you know, songs of last year, actually, this is kind of a perfect tie-in. Uh, the best song of last year, it, we, it didn't end up on our list or anything. It probably should have, because the best song of last year, Craig, is now on Spotify. Hit the music, Sonic Architect Adam. Born on the north back, king of the east side, 50 years strong, now he's rolling in a sick ride. Handmade suits, raking in loot. Five-star general, y'all best salute. Yo, bitches be catty, but the King Kong daddy. Rock all the haters while we go roll a fatty. Squiggle on the decks, candy on the rhymes. And Logan Big ballin' on Hampton's time. L to the OG, dude be the OG. A-N, he playin', playin' like a pro. Oh, I forgot how funny that was. It's so good. That is Jeremy Strong 
uh, in the guise of Kendall Roy, his character oh from Succession, the best show on television at the moment. Uh, if you yes. haven't caught up with that show, please, please do. Uh, along with Nicholas Brattel, who does the music for the show. And if you've never seen Succession, you're probably like, I don't understand what that was or why it was funny. Please watch the show and get to towards the end of season two for that moment to pop up because it's it's the best rap song of probably the last 10 years, Craig, I think. It's incredible, yeah. When the show opens, um, we learn that he's obviously a massive fan of the Beastie Boys and you can hear that influence all over it. It's, it's seminal at this stage. It's just taking hip-hop somewhere new. It popped up randomly on Spotify on Wednesday and I was just like, this is the greatest thing of all time. I've listened to it unironically quite a lot and <laughs> will continue to do so. <laughs> Producer Adam is, because uh, we have him on Skype here, is, has taken his glasses off and is pinching his nose and he looks shaking exasperated. I'm telling you, man. It's Wait till we okay, get fine, to the fine, 1975 fine. review. <laughs> Another contender for greatest song of all time. It's a happy 30th birthday to World in Motion, Dave. New Order's finest football song. Um, after me ragging on New Order and their lyrics last week, um, but World in Motion, bulletproof, right? Yeah, let's take a listen. Beat the man, take him on. Take him on. Score so the goal. I'm <laughs> <laughs> it, It's one on one. It's so good, man. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, it was originally, <laughs> it was originally supposed to be called E is for England. <laughs> but the FA were like, are you talking about drugs, young men? And the order were like, yes, we are. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah. Happy birthday to a legend. Best that ever did it. And now that we've uh, had some fun to start the show, let's get miserable. Lana Del Rey is releasing a new album on September the 5th. This, of course, comes not too long after Norman fucking Rockwell from last year, an album that was genuinely excellent, received a ton of critical acclaim and pretty much cemented her as one of the best songwriters of her generation, depending on who you ask. So she's clearly in celebratory mood, right, Craig? Uh, Wrong, David. Um, She's looking back to the past and probably not as good a past. So it seems like she wants to return to kind of quite tropey um pastiche lyrics um which were kind of getting her in hot water some years ago the stuff you didn't really like um she's been defending her lyrics from a time before lust for life for norma fucking rockwell particularly those concerning women with uh quote sometimes submissive or passive roles in their relationships um in what's kind of like probably pearly worded and um I don't know, kind of provocative in who she's calling out. She's like name-checked Doja Cat, Ariana, uh, Camilla, Cardi B, Kalani, Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. And she's saying like, you know, they've all had their number ones with songs about being sexy, wearing no clothes, fucking, cheating, etc. She says she's fed up with female writers and all singers saying that she glamorizes abuse. When in reality, uh, she says, I'm just a glamorous person singing about the realities of what we are all now seeing are very prevalent, emotionally abusive relationships all over the world. (laughs) She then cements it by by saying in the next paragraph, I'm not not a feminist. And I can probably leave it there. Right? <laughs> You're not going to start a sentence like that and get away with it on the internet. <laughs> I mean, as a as a fellow glamorous 
person i can i can certainly empathize but uh yeah there's a moment there where yes. like um and this was brought to my attention recently and it blew me fu- it blew me the fuck away there's a there's a bbc documentary and I, I, before i say this right I, I need to clarify i'm not making a direct link here okay it just popped into my brain right. it's more about the it's more about the delivery and the execution of something there's a bbc documentary from about i must say 15 years ago or something uh called i think it's like is big ron a racist and it's about ron atkinson and the intro to it is astounding. You've got Adrian Charles doing this narration. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to play it now. Marcel Desailly has won the French Championship and the FA Cup and the Italian Championship twice. He's won the European Cup three times. And with France, he's won the European Championship and the World Cup. He lists fine wines amongst his interests and speaks three languages. I'd called Marcel Desailly a lazy, thick nigger. Why, Ron? Tell us why. Ron Atkinson's been mind-numbingly stupid and blindingly arrogant. It's a comment. It's not a nice comment. It shouldn't have been said. But does that constitute that he's a racist? You don't have the word nigger in your mindset unless you're a racist. That kind of language is finished and finished forever. You can debate is Ron Atkinson racist, but what he said about Marcel Desailly was racist. Full stop. The football commentator Ron Atkinson has lost two jobs at ITV Sport and The Guardian newspaper. Come on! Being called a racist is arguably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. We all have prejudices. I don't think Ron is prejudiced against black people. Politically... So, yeah, I mean, like, just an astounding, astounding thing to throw in there. Like, yeah. really, like, of all things, like, like, especially coming after, like, our end credits episode recently when I made the gag that, like, everything would sound better with Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine played over it. Well, not that, essentially, but, like, I said that to a friend of mine and my friend was like, he goes, oh, that's genius. He goes, I'm just going to use that argument if, if I ever get into a bit of a, 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 bit, a bit of hot water there. It'd be like, I mean, what I said was racist, but... I'm categorically not a racist. And it's like, Lando Ray is not a racist. We know that. Oh. But this, like, but I, do, I love that. Yeah. And just, just to clarify, I'm not not a feminist or anything, but uh, all of these women, most of them minorities. Yeah. Fuck them. And also, yeah. all you critics who've who've written about me and given out about me, like this carries on from Lana Del Rey, of course, uh, going after a positive review in NPR because she didn't like what the yeah. writer said about her, like absolutely destroying this woman and setting the fucking stands on her, essentially, or at least not blocking them from doing so. And it's kind of like, right, okay, so you can only really talk about Lana Del Rey if it's positive and hailing and you can't, I mean, like, I, I don't really get it. And also, I don't know, like, she's been absolutely destroyed, particularly for name checking all those contemporary artists themselves who many of whom have had insane abuse like ariana grande you kidding me yeah. when mac miller died people fucking blamed her for that beyonce's gotten death threats they all have and yet lana ray seems to think that she's like that, like they've got this rarefied air that she doesn't have it, yeah. it feels like a real a really a, bad pr move if i was her manager i'd be like <laughs> well she's releasing a spoken word album dave um so you know you gotta drum up that pr uh, but yeah, as I said, like the thing that kind of really saddened me was like it, it implies that she wants to go back to songs that while I liked a lot of her early stuff, clearly were, didn't seem as developed kind of um, just in terms of complexity, sophistication, um, the emotional depth wasn't quite there. It was like, as I say, pastiche and like she's saying, oh, I wish I could go back to doing that. It's like, no, you're doing so much better stuff now. But obviously, who am I to tell her what to do with her art? Um, I would say maybe stay off the gram a bit. Um, Dave, there is a developing Mick Hucknell story. If <laughs> if you want to talk about it, it's not in the running order, but I think we need to talk about it. Breaking news, you so say. It's, 
<laughs> breaking news. So it's um, another instance of um, a musical artist taking to the internet and riling people up. So from the Simply Red uh, account on Twitter, at Simply Red HQ, follow now. Um, Mick, I assume, seeing as he's pretty much Simply Red, has tweeted out, Top five coolest cultures on planet Earth. And <laughs> he's given the five. Number one, African-Americans, brackets, they invented cool, fair. Number two, working class British musicians. So I guess what, Oasis and him? <laughs> Three, and then he's put in brackets a close third, just so we all know, Jamaicans. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Four, Jewish Americans. And five, flamenco gypsies. Um, so I, like, he's taken it upon himself to put this list together. I'm not sure what his criteria has been, or if it's been a banned decision they've got together on Zoom to do it. He's also, like, followed it up quite a lot. <laughs> um, there's one subtweet here where he says, uh, by the way, the Irish made our top ten. How'd you feel about that, Dave? Get in. I'm delighted. Yeah. I mean, like, standard kind of, you know, fighting, fighting there. Like, you know, probably make it to the second round, you know, maybe quarterfinals if we're lucky. He also says, um, I, and he's, he's finishing every word with a full stop, I do not care what you think. I guess he's just addressing Twitter there. <laughs> and um, underneath someone's foot, don't listen to the haters simply. I think ranking the worth of cultures is a great idea for a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I saw, I did we'll see, see where that goes. I did see somebody tweet out and they said, this is reminiscent of the time the Onion were like, fuck it, let's just rank the religions. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so good. So Dave, in other news, Eddie Vedder and Dennis Rodman once moved heaven and earth to go to a Jane's Addiction gig. Um, is Does Dennis Rodman feature much in The Last Dance? He sure does. Uh, the third episode is all about him, actually. And uh, yeah. one thing, I, I'm not the biggest basketball guy in the world. So I was kind of like, I was asking my housemate Richard and other people, I was like, is Robin actually any good? Or was he just this kind of annoying celebrity kind of guy? And everyone's like, no, he's fucking amazing. Like he's actually yeah. regarded as one of the best defensive basketball players that there's ever been. Like the, the, the weird juxtaposition was that like for all of the flamboyance, the strange behavior, the dyed hair, the piercings, the tattoos, the dating Carmen Electra, the disappearing, all that kind of stuff he was actually fucking incredible which i which i think is amazing I, I love that and he comes across really interesting he comes across like a very interesting kind of strangely humble guy um perhaps some people might be surprised by that charismatic obviously um, yeah. yeah i mean kind of cool <laughs> like i mean like no i say kind of cool maybe he's done a lot of bad shit i don't know so please don't cancel me if that's the case but you know i, I remember he used to right? um yeah. I, he used to go on howard stern a lot which uh, for me was a big plus but for a lot of people probably like oh he's that kind of guy uh this is before it was kind of reformed new man howard stern but yeah i always found him really kind of interesting as a dude obviously in more recent times he's been known for being like bezzy mates with the leader of north korea well back in the day it was uh the down to earth eddie vedder apparently and uh yeah eddie vedder was on on Bill Simmons um, podcast, I think, and you sharing this anecdote. Um, so the Bulls were in uh, Eddie's hometown. They were playing the Seattle Seahawks and him and Rodman were like mates. They were hanging out at the team's hotel and Rodman's security guard presented three plane tickets um, and the basketball player explains that Jane's Addiction were playing in Vegas that night. So Vetter was like, uh, Jesus Christ, it's like fucking six o'clock. And Rodman just goes, we'll get there by nine. They don't go on until 9.30. Um, so he describes how like they got to the airport and people were just like running after Rodman it was like kind of Beatlemania kind of stuff and they made it to the gig in time and were like sitting at the side of the stage when the band came on 
And Rodman turns to Eddie and just went, this is relaxing, right? And Eddie's just like, that's how on rocket jet fuel he was. That was relaxing. They flew back the same night. And it's just like, I love the fact Dennis Rodman was like, clearly like big into Jane's addiction or else he was just big into taking random plane trips. But I love the idea that he was like big into alt rock. Jane's addiction still maybe my favorite band name. Um, I will say that uh, oh, the Titans We ha- Actually, because... sorry, Dave, we have to do that at some point. We have to go through a list of band names and decide if they're good or not. That it could be, be a top five, perhaps. Could I think, be a maybe. top five. Okay, yeah. okay, let's do it. Yeah. Sorry, Listen, I cut you, you off. You, you, no, no, you give me ideas, man. I'm like, 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 I'll take it all, all day, all day, pal. So, uh, I'll take all times, you got. though. There's tie-ins, though, because, I mean, uh, I haven't seen the episode yet. I think it's in the last episode, perhaps, but I've been listening to the... If you want to Spotify, by the way, the Last Dance playlist, it's like three hours and 52 minutes long, and I've been listening to it all week. It is incredible. Just like brilliant, brilliant 90s R&B, G-Funk, hip-hop, oh, and nice. Pearl Jam, <laughs> because apparently they use Pearl Jam song Present Tense in a pivotal moment in the show, which I've yet to get to, and it made me go back and listen to that Pearl Jam song, because I haven't, you know, a band I used to love, we reviewed their album this year and I've already forgotten it, Present Tense off No Code is a fucking incredible song, it's absolutely brilliant, like, it's fantastic, and also, Present Tense way, is a great one, yeah. Uh, Bill Simmons uh, fucking had The Undertaker on his podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> the the former American badass himself. <laughs> for for two hours uh, to promote the current WWE Network documentary about The Undertaker called The Last Ride, which I've seen the first two episodes oh. of. And again, it's fascinating. It's interesting. He comes across, like he's, 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 he's out of character. So he's Mark Calloway. He's not The Undertaker. There's a moment where he goes in for hip surgery, right? And in the operating theatre, not just on the soundtrack of the audio, they play his entrance music as he goes under for the operation. And there's all these weird endearing moments where you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> but then... Tempered by the fact that in every single scene, Mark Calloway is wearing either a Donald Trump t-shirt or a Don't Tread on Me trucker hat. There's giant crosses all over the gaff. His wife has a God is Dope tracksuit line. Um, and he's clearly like, they're clearly gun-toting, God-bothering Trump voters, but it's still very compelling. Whatever about him, like, whatever whatever about them playing that music when he's going under, I want to know, like, when the surgery was done, did he just, like, sit bolt upright and, like, fucking put on his hat <laughs> and walk out? It would have been incredible. I doubt it, Craig. He would have ripped his stitches open and went all over the fucking room. Fair so enough. Been a good idea. I was, I, the last thing I'll say is this, and I swear the show is not sponsored by ESPN or Netflix. It probably should be at this stage, but I'll yeah. say this, because I've just seen it now. Following the breakout success of The Last Dance, ESPN ESPN has ordered another docu-series about an athlete considered the greatest in his sport, Tom Brady. They're doing a Tom Brady documentary and already the reactions are, no, this is going to be terrible. He's extremely boring. What are you doing? Yeah, he's like a human Ken doll. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not that interested, I must say. In terms of musical news, though, Dave, um, Lord, shared an up- Lord shared an update. You'll be excited to hear it with fans really about new music. Yeah. I really wasn't. I was um, upset, actually. So apparently the timetable for new albums being affected by uh, the sad death of her beloved dog, Pearl, maybe named after Pearl Jam. I don't know. Uh, but she's published a newsletter that revealed that works well underway. And she has confirmed that the work is so fucking good, my friend. I am truly jazzed for you to hear it. How, how does that uh, sit with you, Dave? Uh, well, I've already done a drive-by on Lord and this whole kind of um, annoying character. I think she's more annoying than Kanye West at his most annoying. Uh, there's a level of pretension here that I just cannot stand. Uh, and fair play, though, you know, like, good, good honour and good honour fan base. But she said, like, uh, she addressed her fans writing her begging for new material. And she said, I understand. I want nothing more than to feed you treats 
pop perfect yes. morsels straight into your little mouths. But as I get older and I realise there's something to be said for the pleasant feeling of waiting for something of quality to become available to you. You could have something of lesser quality much faster, but as the high quality thing comes into fruition, a warm feeling grows inside you. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, did she get a job at fucking Amazon? Like, what the hell is this? Like, like yeah. oh, there's nothing like waiting for a parcel in the mail, guys. And it feels like that should have been... Should have been delivered like in kind of ASMR voice. Do you want to try your best ASMR whispery thing for the next quote? I'm not doing it. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm not doing it. it. It's too upsetting. But I will. Will I do it? No, please don't. She said. <laughs> I get this feeling when I make bread or put my seedlings in after the last frost or even when I wait for a particular package to arrive waiting the thing that felt so pointless and annoying when I was young is now this kind of delicious activity she is so insufferable in my opinion the greatest treat I can give you is work that will last 10, 20, 30 years and that kind of work takes time so if you can I'd like to I'd like for you to try tuning into the time spent waiting for something of the highest quality to arrive enjoy the sensation as it builds when the moment comes our wave will crest super fucking high I can tell you this new thing it's got its own colours now. If you know anything about my work, you'll know what that means. Now, as someone who got a, a, couple, of, a couple of new pairs of runners in the post this week, a week before I thought I was going to get them, I, uh, she's, she's got a point, you know? <laughs> like, uh, a, quote you no. did, a quote you didn't read out was food-based as well earlier on. Um, she, she was talking about like getting on the road and like seeing kind of like hotter climates and like um, sampling the food. <laughs> and she says, I want to eat summer foods in beautiful countries. She was a fucking wet market, did she? By yeah. <laughs> They've been close to Wuhan, by the way, which is like fair play uh, to Brian Adams for <laughs> <laughs> to reference a previous show. Um, it wasn't popular, but he got it done. Um, yeah, so she references ice cream, which is like, yeah, fair enough. Then she says tomatoes and anchovies. She's gone full pretense here. Like, I can't. Summer foods. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just defeated, really. Uh, but I'm not as defeated as Roger Waters, who has been locked out of his own website. What's going on here? Yeah, Roger Waters has revealed that former uh, Pink Floyd bandmate uh, David Gilmour has banned him from promoting his solo work and endeavours on the official Pink Floyd website and the social media channels. Um, so he, he took to the YouTube. The <laughs> yeah, Waters has made the claim in a video that he posted on his YouTube because, of course, he did. <laughs> Um, and he had to he was explaining why he had to um, upload a socially distanced version of Mutter that he he put together on his own YouTube channel Uh, the quote is nothing for me is on the website I am banned by David Gilmore from the website Uh, he then said that he'd asked for access in the past during kind of reconciliation talks but uh, it just wasn't happening I love the fact that they're like this is so 90s um, first dot com boom days of the internet stuff I'm like I can't get on the fucking website the the domain has been closed it's just ridiculous well i tell you something roger if you're listening i've got a website for you patreon.com slash no encore if you want to get involved and now time for our album in review here's a here's a smattering of quotes about this one because it's made a few headlines this week Roshin O'Connor in the UK Independent says, This is a parade of smug self-indulgence. This album was apparently made with a zero-fucks-given perspective. Perhaps if the band cared little more, the result wouldn't be a smug farrago in which each track grates against the next like rusted gears. Meanwhile, Alexis Petretis in The Guardian with his 3 out of 5 review said that this is a curious thing, an album whose flaws are inherent in what it sets out to do, music for the no-filter generation with all the good and bad that that entails. And finally, The Enemy in a perfect glowing 5 
five-star review, said that the end of this era of the band is nothing to fear. This album, this go-anywhere-do-anything record, doesn't so much tie up loose ends as create more. As we all might be wise to remember right now, there are no endings, only new beginnings. It could only be the 1975. It could only be notes in a conditional form. It's time for the new encore review. Hit the music. was the 1975 with if you're too shy brackets let me know close brackets the 1975 I love an L parentheses <laughs> the 1975 of course are an English pop rock band formed in 2002 which can't be correct but uh, formed in Wimslow Cheshire now based in Manchester the band consists of lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist Matthew Healy lead guitarist Adam Han bassist Ross McDonald and drummer and producer George Daniel thank you Wikipedia for your opening synopsis paragraph as I attempt to primer this week of course as Craig has labelled me off microphone I apparently have long been a 1975 apologist which is based on the yes, fact now- that go on I did say apologists might be slightly strong, but it's fair to say they're kind of your boys of a sort, right? Um, uh, was it the, was it your last gig prior to quarantine was the 1975? That is correct in the three arena. They kind of won you over on the previous appearance in Dublin, right? That is also correct, yes. And the album that came along with that, which was around 18 months ago, their third record, A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships, a record that proved quite polarising, but also won a lot of acclaim and effectively cemented this band of as being... A stadium-sized, arena-sized pop outfit with a lot of brash balls and a frontman who, again, take him or leave him, and we'll talk a lot about him on this one. Um, yeah, so I went into this one with, uh, I actually, if, if anything, like, I, I've gone from being like, no, actually, like, I really do like them, and I've gone back to the first couple of records, and I appreciate them quite a bit more, to something of 1975 fatigue. I mean, like, Matty Healy himself on stage in the Three Arena days before shutdown looks quite fatigued himself as he probably would be they're still touring the same tour from before the same set which is admittedly a very very impressive setup but when you see it the second time not as good um they've been to ireland that was their third time being here in a space of a year because they played three arena yeah. played electric picnic and played three arena again and this is the new record which actually like when the last album came out uh, they teased notes in, uh, on a conditional form would follow very shortly. There was talk of it being out six months later. Uh, it's now been about a year and a half, I think. Um, and it arrives um, with 80 minutes and 22 tracks. And it's very, very scattershot experience. I think, you know, like I, I read out those quotes there in the kind of lead in, which gives you a sense of the flavor of what's been going on in the music press this week. I think a lot of people have been waiting for them to kind of have a bit of a stumble. Uh, it's like the Kanye West thing in a way, where it's like, okay, you've gotten so big now, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall type situation. Um, I think Matty Healy does himself, you know, he simultaneously like manages to say all the right things and all the wrong things, whether it's, you know, coming out with something problematic or just generally being a bit of a brash guy. Uh, he'll do interviews. Mm. He's immensely quotable. Um, it, like he's journalist fucking dream in that regard. 
Um, but he will say stuff like nobody is doing what, what, what we're doing. There's no bands out, out there like we are at the moment. In a way, he's correct. And in another way, maybe he's not so much. So I went into this one very much being like, OK, cool. You know, they've released eight singles, which I guess is a byproduct of it taking as long as it has taken to get here because it's been delayed a few times, not just because of the pandemic, but other reasons, too. And also... You know, it's kind of like I've, I've I've really wanted to see how this would work all together because the singles certainly had that kind of musical magpie feeling to them where it was like a different genre almost each time. The one that we played there I know you like, uh, which is this very 80s, you know, kind of big fucking movie montage thing. And it's a lot of fun. They actually yeah. played that live in Three Arena when I was there and it was the standout track and it, and it was very, very enjoyable. But as with a lot of what the 1975 do when they step into these different kind of oversized David Byrne-esque suits or whether it's, you know, kind of trying to be Burial or John Hopkins or Busted on some of these tracks that they're doing or Bon Iver or whoever, Marilyn Manson. Um, You're I, naming I, all my reference points. Yeah, <laughs> they hit them all. <laughs> but, I, but I just wonder, I'm like, okay, I mean, like, it's not that they've done this before, but on this one it feels especially... Um, pointed and deliberate. I don't know what the overall point is other than for Maddie Healy to turn around and kind of witheringly say, well, that's the point, mate. At the same time, while I'm all for exploration and ambition and trying on different hats, especially four albums in, I don't know if it makes for a very cohesive listening experience. How did you find this one? Um, Yeah, not very cohesive, uh, to be sure. In fairness, I I think I was equally... Um, tentatively excited about this one as you were. Um, from the seven or eight tracks, the eight singles we got from it already, a clutch of them I actually kind of dug. They were doing interesting things. And it is this kind of um, age-old 1975 problem for me where I've kind of clearly got similar taste to the band. And when they shamelessly crib <laughs> from other acts, I'm like, Ugh, they're kind of doing it well. It kind of sounds good. Now with the tease being over, I, I think it does turn out the best bits were very much in the tease. Um, like, I think those singles worked quite well as a demonstration of, if not like a band of of pure chameleons, you know, a band that can throw a decent kind of musical fancy dress party. Uh, it never really gets too deep, but they wear the costumes well. And really, I think those kind of varied genre exercises in the singles showed their kind of full breadth, uh, their full potential. Whereas once you dive into the album, which to me is like an immaculately produced mess, really, the kind of previously unheard experimental quote unquote in between bits are actually the kind of yawn inducing bits. They're a bit obvious. The reference points feel a bit played out, to be honest. And you you listed a load of them I had uh, written down as well. I mean, John Hopkins, for sure. Um, They keep going back to the Bonnie Verwell time and again. There's watered down kind of almost Fisher Price, uh, MBV and Cocteau Twins. Um, for sure, You and Me Together song is like, you know, busted meets six pence, none the richer or something like that. It's a total dip dab uh, that lacks in depth, I think, which is weird considering it's 22 tracks and ostensibly has this quite high concept, right? You're kind of lulled in with the first track, which has Greta Thunberg talking about the existential crisis we all face. Um with climate change. And we heard that months and months ago at this stage. She's since, you know, the news cycle moves so fast now, there's been huge developments around that. And obviously we're dealing with a, another situation. I feel like you get that track and you feel like, okay, they're ready to have their big kind of double album grand statement. And then they launch into the kind of screamo 
thing of people, which is essentially them doing dress up again. And like, or like her closing line is about being a, a rebel. And it's them just being like, oh yeah, look at us sounding like rebels. And then it's quickly discarded and you're into what sounds like another intro track, which is Music for Cars, which is like the end. So it's them kind of closing the curtain on this era of music they keep talking about with this album, the last album and a few EPs, Music for Cars. But it's weird, you're kind of getting a false intro a kind of pastiche song in people that I don't think quite suits them. Another intro, Frail State Mind is a song, I, I, one of those kind of singles I quite liked, but then you're into Streaming, which again is another instrumental piece. In the first quarter of an hour with this album, I was like, okay, it's already bloated to hell. And, you know, throughout the track list, there were songs that I thought worked. Um, all of the music is pretty well executed for sure, but there was just so much flab and stuff that sounded like it could have just been left in the... Like, it, a lot of it sounds like stuff where they were just messing around in soundcheck on tour, stuff that just belongs, you know, gathering dust in a digital folder somewhere, or stuff that would work better as, like, a fan club release. Um, but to release 22 songs just because you said you would after releasing, what, 18 on the last one, does kind of no one any favours, really. I think it's fifteen on the last one, but you you know you'd be was a fifteen, mistaken, okay. but you'd be forgiven for like for for you know what's fifteen, what's eighteen, what's twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a shame in a way because I kind of feel like there's a great ten track album in here, and I would love to hear it. Uh, however, it's very much the kind of zeitgeist moment record. Even though the last one was also the zeitgeist moment record, which I I, I went back to all three of the first albums. Uh, of the 975 and to my surprise having done that big revisit and re-examination I think the first one might actually be the best one uh, it was the last well, album okay. the third one that got me in there you know that kind of made me and, and I wrote a very impassioned review of that record for Joe when I was there we talked about it on the podcast when it came out it was myself yourself and Zara Hedeman and I think I was the only one in that room who had anything positive to say about it and I was quite well, yeah well actually at the time uh, yeah we had myself and Zara had kind of misgivings about the um a lot of the lyrical content and maybe Matty Healy's slightly opportunistic nature at times as well and just kind of like what he brings to the table in terms of his attitude to the band, what he's saying, his kind of role as a rock slash pop star um, and whether he's using his voice in a kind of genuine way, I guess. And yeah, for me, it was totally derivative, um, which again is a problem here. But I did say, like, I think it's really well produced. Your man, George Daniel, the drummer, is clearly kind of running the show sonically. And I mean, he's a talented dude. Like, it, re- it reminds me like, of a Jamie XX with the XX. It, it just seems like he's going to break out and do his own side projects for sure. It's a great kind of advertisement for his stuff. Um, but yeah, it's... <sighs> I don't know if Maddie Healy puts his proper stamp on things from a kind of melodic uh, songwriting point of view. Now, in fairness to him, and whilst I don't have any great love for the guy, I think he makes the band quite compelling. I think he has a knack for, well, he's got a good pop ear, to be sure, and he's got a knack for kind of conversationalist lyrics. He's not exactly Alex Turner, but he's saying kind of occasionally funny, sometimes flippant, but kind of ear-catching things in a way that like, you know, for this pop kind of vehicle, I mean, it's a far cry and far better than the kind of beige platitudes of like a co-play or something. So at least he's interesting. And there is something compelling about them. Like I went back to that last album as well a few times because I was like, there is something in here. Now it didn't click for me and it still hasn't. I think some of these tracks click more. Um, A song like Too Shy, for sure, like works for me because I think that is maybe... That might be their ultimate comfort zone, but I think it's the high watermark because 
it's bubblegum. It's a total kind of rush. It's like a Frankenstein's monster of like an 80s hit. Uh, you know, it's like, it might as well be in a John Hughes film, which is no bad thing. But when they know they're doing slightly dumb pop, they can be kind of irresistible. It's when they like, you know, they, they can be like a modern Spando ballet, no problem. But when they start getting into like Bono territory with Maddie Healy and saying something grand, they miss the mark time and again. And he's not as kind of god awful in some of the lyrics on this one. Um, but there were moments like there was a lot of kind of cop out moments as well, I thought, like for, for clout or whatever to rile up the internet. Like there's that line which I guess he thinks is clever on Roadkill where he's like, listen, you know, I was lying about fucking in cars. I actually just have sex lying down in bed, not trying, which is kind of like, oh, okay, that works. I, you know, that works for me. Then there's another one where he cops out of like, they got ragged on quite a bit for not saying more in the British um, general election and doing more uh, like in that sense. And uh, he addresses it here by essentially just going like, yeah, you know, I was quiet during the election. Maybe that's fair, but I'm a busy guy. And it's like so flippant. And so, and in a recent interview, he said, yeah, like, to be fair, like, I didn't trust Boris Johnson and I didn't trust Jeremy Corbyn. And I was just like, really? Like you're expelled, like the first track you've given over completely to an activist um, for what I can only assume is clout based on the fact you're saying you don't even like have faith in like a socialist dude like Jeremy Corbyn actually bringing about real change. Uh, like I saw a comment in Drown Sound recently where there was quite kind of gushing remarks about the band and then there was just one comment going, Tory music. And I thought, yeah, it kind of is. Like, is this your indie prince? No, they're just kind of a pop band that deliver nice hits and have nice reference points and sound immaculate because they've the most expensive studio and incredible world-class session players. But... There's no real heart there. Like, I keep looking for the heart um, and I wasn't finding it. Yeah, I think you've nailed it with that last sentence because with that last record, I felt tons of heart. I felt tons of emotion. I connected to it big time. It's one of the reasons why I was moved to write about it in the way that I did and speak about it in the yeah, way yeah. that I did. And I thought that Love It If We Made It was my song of that year by quite some distance. And I really became a cheerleader for the 1975, even though, you know, it's not the coolest bandwagon to be on, especially for a 35-year-old man. But I mean, like, uh, I think ultimately, like, while, for example, I think that the Roshin O'Connor review, the one out of five in the UK Independent is is way too um i think it's very it's a very clear example of somebody reviewing the band more than reviewing the record and yeah it does yeah. come across as someone who only listened to it once or twice and i listen she may have listened to it 55 times i don't know but it just read that way by the same token the enemies review which was published weeks ago five stars is so far <laughs> in the other direction that you're like well no i i can't agree with that one either but i do think ultimately that this record is their icarus moment they will be totally fine they're not going to crash and burn to such a biblical fucking mythological degree or anything they're going to be okay they are a huge commodity but it does expose them i think this record exposes the um the weaknesses of kind of bringing an album like this to bear, especially when you didn't need to. And that's what I find curious. Mm. Like its existence alone is curious to me. And coming off the back of the last album, which has such really impressive high points and ends really impressively. Like when they wrote, I always want to die sometimes, which is such an anthem. It's in the vein of Oasis, but a good Oasis song. And it's, it's one for the fan base. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a torch anthem for the fans. And, and it it's almost like a kind work. of Ben's era Radiohead thing. It works really well. It it's works like, really, really it's like well. good Brit pop. Yeah. And there's very, 
very little of that on here. Um, instead, what you get though is you get song because I, I went back and forth on this. I'm going back and forth on it now. Um, after eight or nine days of listening to it, and like I say, eighty yeah. minutes, twenty two tracks, and I have done my homework here, and I'm sure you have as well. I've been listening to this a oh lot, my god, and but it hasn't. To be fair, it hasn't felt like a chore. It didn't feel like oh no, I got listen. I got listen to this album again. I really wanted to unravel it, unlock it, find what was really kind of going on beneath it, and ultimately what I come out here is it's just already surface, isn't it? And it's good surface though. I mean, like there's not there's not a single track on here that I'd be like that's trash. There's not one. I mean, like Roadkill yeah, sure. when they go alt country, I don't really need it. Uh, I find myself just wondering why you have the likes of having no head on there, which is a six minute John Hopkins meets the Blaze kind of thing. Which don't get me wrong, it's 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 really enjoyable to listen to, but it's also kind of like right. Well, it's done better by the people that you're that you're trying to rip off here, and also. Why is it on here? Like, what's the point? And I know that what's the point equals, well, that's the point. I don't think that that's a good enough thing to put out into the world, especially at the moment. Yeah, what's the point is a great phrase to use because I kept thinking of it. And I know they've always kind of been guilty, right, of like having these atmospheric moments and interludes and fair play to them. Um, They've always kind of swollen their track listing doing that. But here it just seems if they're searching for some like thematic cohesion or um, like something that just really invigorates the the fan base based on the kind of the opening of like you know Greta Thunberg's message people and then some of the kind of you know the I don't know the meditations on mental health and the state of the world like frail state of mind again even the birthday party um it feels like they're setting up the listener to be brought on a journey that's kind of empowering and kind of compelling but then the genre exercises where they go into like dance music and dubstep tropes and it's like they're dabbling in genres that are specifically orientated to be kind of pure escapism (laughs) they don't work when you're lyrically trying to do things that address um politics or societal changes it's like they're just kind of flexing for no real reason it's not they're not making this music because somehow it backs up a message they're saying it feels like they've gone okay here's all music that we love and it just feels like one big flirt to me (laughs) do you know what i mean it's like they're peacocking across this spectrum of like the most hipster genres of the past decade or two and being like look what we can do um and it can be impressive um from like one listen but when you're on your fifth or sixth listen through and you're like at that point where you've passed like shiny collarbone and you're past too shy which is like the high point for me and yeah like having no head what should i say bagsy not a net towards that like end i'm just i'm just waiting for the end um there was moments where i was being generous and thinking okay well in fairness to them right they're like a huge band what if this like what if fucking having no head is a gateway for teenagers to better things right to the reference points in interviews and stuff like that and i think that that is something that's genuinely going to happen and fair play but by the same token i do remember being out for a run last night and what should i say going back to the start and me not being able to fix it because i was running and going oh for fuck's sake i have to listen to this again because i didn't have my hands free and that was like the moment of me just going this isn't working for me it's pretty but it's pointless it's like what's the point like you have his dad on the penultimate track for no real reason it sounds like a kind of disney song i mean it's lovely you know fair play 
Um, but it's not a good song. It says nothing, it speaks nothing to the rest of the album. Guys is like a kind of nice, ironic, like inversion of a boy band trope where he's talking about his own band. But again, like it's just kind of sickly sweet and comes and goes and so much just comes and goes i wanted to um, ask you about guys specifically because they played that in yeah. the free arena and i first of all again because it's a, they're a band i've come to kind of late so there's still some early stuff that i don't know wouldn't recognize off the top of my head but the fans that are there of course know everything and trace every movement uh, and also like too shy i mentioned like when they played that i was looking up live videos and waiting for them to drop it as a single because i really i was very much looking forward to hearing the studio version and it didn't let me down at all with guys i remember they played that and at first i was like is this like a really obscure one from years and years and years ago because like they had this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. shot on a mobile phone video behind them of them hanging out in Japan and all these different places and it's Maddie Healy on an acoustic guitar singing sweetly about being in a band like there's a line where it's like you know the moment that we started a band it was the best thing that ever happened it was the best day that yeah, ever it's happened nice. but what I want to know though is because in that moment I don't know if it's because he was kind of out of source that night or because it's the whole Maddie Healy thing I was like I don't think that this is sincere at all and I feel like it's just like the most navel gazing like we can get away with this we can just write a song about how fucking amazing we are and the fans will eat it up and on the record i find myself listening to that song over and over again and i'm like is he sincere can't because, work it out <laughs> because, because i really do like this song i don't know if it's a joke but then i but then I, I apply that to the entire canvas and i'm like it wouldn't shock me if the guy turned around one day and I'm not, I'm not calling him a cynic here. Maybe I am, but I mean, like, it wouldn't shock mm-hmm. me if he turned around one day and he was like, "Oh yeah, that fourth album, by the way." I mean, that was just something I fucking pulled out of my arse, and like everyone thought it was amazing, and that was just me showing you how the power of pop and you know, like, blah blah. He's blah. almost yeah, like you know, it's always a problem when musicians and pop stars have like lack any self awareness. But with Maddie Healy, it feels like he's almost too self aware at times, and it does become that thing of like the songs are like they sound like he's just gazing at himself in the mirror and being like oh yeah look what I can do or like almost fetishizing himself and like being in a band like there's lines where he's talking about oh am I gonna live and die in a band he's constantly referring back to himself and his kind of story via the kind of media and other people's opinions of him which is kind of interesting territory but yeah it's it's tough to know what's what's properly genuine um and it comes back to me thinking like a lot of it seems like a flirt it's like i i can never buy into like a song like jesus christ 2005 god bless america um which is him ostensibly taking on a character of like he's a he's like a gay high school student in the US and not being able to come out um, because he's from like a quite conservative background. And you've also got Phoebe Bridgers on that track. Um, uh, I think she excels on it and she's the best part of it. But with him, you're kind of like, okay, this is like kind of forward thinking and it's good and maybe empowering for some listeners. Or is it just actually like in the current climate, really safe for Maddie Healy to be like, if I include lines about kind of fancying boys, it's such an easy win. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a really, really easy win. And it's not like as brave as he would probably like to think it is. It's it's actually kind of safe because it's instant kudos. I'm going to give you a quote right from Pitchfork today in a piece about yeah. breaking down the elements that went into the record. So he says, this is certainly my most not give a fuck record, not in a nihilistic punk teenage, we better not give a fuck so we don't get hurt way, but in a grown up way. There's no ego in there. When I talk about myself on the album, I'm pretty much shitting on myself all the time. Did that come across to you in the record? Well, he does self-deprecation, but it's self-deprecation that's always couched in, I'm a great and funny in how I'm being self-deprecating. And it's kind of, there's a lot of humble bragging, you know what I mean? It's like, 
woe is me, I'm in a band and like there's one line where it's just like, I know this is how I get paid, but it's not how I want to get laid. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, for God's sake. It's like the, la- the last album, Be My Mistake, which is we, myself and Zara thought was kind of horrendous because it's him talking about like a, a groupie, I guess, but being completely sincere about it and being like, oh, this is like, you're the worst thing that's happened to me. Um, so in terms of not giving a fuck, no, I think he gives quite a lot of fucks. Um, but I think he he can like stand back from this album and go, yeah, I definitely sound like I'm not giving any fucks on this one. Um, so mission accomplished, I guess, for him. And the thing is, like, he like they are kind of compelling uh, as a band. I think, as I say, um, Frail State of Mind works for me. Uh, the birthday party kind of works for me. Um, yeah, if you're too shy, me and you together song. Like, just some tracks where I'm like, yeah, like they have they have potential there and stuff. But my god, they're frustrating. Um, and I would say half, a good half, if not more of this is frustrating. So for me, it will be a five out of 10, I think. Okay. I'm going to hold back on my rating for just a second. I will say that also in that interview, they talk about how the track tonight, I wish it was your boy. features a pitched up sample of a temptation song. Uh, just my imagine running away with me. And apparently they got the rights to that song, but the temptations were like, yeah, cool. We're, we're, like, absolutely. But you know, we're taking 97% of the track. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't care. Like, you know, I'd rather have a good song that makes money for once. And he, he then goes on to describe the song, which I do like that song, by the way. Um, he describes it as we were going for college dropout era Kanye meets Backstreet Boys, <laughs> which I just like, it's like, that to me like is like, that's a cool thing to put together. But there's just so many ideas clashing here all at once. He also talks in the same interview about how like um, the prospect of Brian Eno co-producing their next album. Is that something that you would want, Craig? <laughs> I'd say it's a given at this point. <laughs> like every big-ish rock band is going to do it. Like didn't he recently interview him for the Face podcast or something? I haven't listened in yet. Um, I think I think that could be more interesting than Coldplay being produced by Brian Eno. I'd be yeah, I'm all for it. Why not? I'm I'm like constantly interested to see where they go, even if I'm not going back to the albums. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so this one is a 5.5 for me. That's the kind of score I've settled on. But it's interesting to give it that number because, like, I don't dislike this record. I actually do like quite a lot of it. I just kind of feel like it doesn't really have much of a justification or a conviction to stand on its own. And I think it does expose them at this stage. They're kind of, they're a little bit punched out right now. Um, I think, if anything, it's a good advertisement to go and check back in with the first three albums and just appreciate the strengths of them a bit more. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask you, Craig, was a very, very general one, particularly, I guess, for yourself, who's, who I think has, through this podcast, been forced <laughs> into this world. Are the 1975 good? I mean, good is such a loaded term, isn't it? <laughs> um, like, they're clearly talented. Um, I think it comes down to good at what and what what role are they kind of trying to fill because I don't think Matty Healy is quite sure himself um like are they a pop band or like are they a pop act are they a rock band what are they supposed to be at this moment in time um because I think they can be very very good at being a pop act and I think they can uh like put some of the more popular songs around them to shame when they're really firing on all cylinders but I think as a band that is saying something um sincere and different i mean they're saying a lot of things but i don't know if there's a real original conclusion they've drawn so far no i don't think they're living up to that kind of like once in a generation rock band tag um which is like you know that's a really tough thing to do i think they're a good pop act um but no more 
Yeah, I think at this stage, with an, with an album like this in the moment right now, I think they've almost missed an opportunity. I would really love to hear a tightly produced 10-track record that was more in the vein of... I know People is still masquerading and dressing up in kind of Marilyn Manson clothes, but, I mean, I wouldn't be against hearing a more aggressive 1975 record with pop edges on it. I think they could do it. I think, as always with a lot of acts, it really depends on what they want to do. And ultimately... This one for me veers a little bit too close to being turning the band into effectively a youth agency, and I don't want my great great, great big pop acts to be fucking yeah, yeah. more concerned with the zine that they're putting out next week than the actual work that they are working on. So yeah, listen, I mean, like like if you if you like nine seventy five, I don't think you're going to dislike this too hard, and if you don't like them at all, stay the fuck away. And that was the album, Good Greg. Trip. How do you feel about it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was intense. Uh, I enjoyed that one. And yeah, like they're they're a compelling list and they're always interesting to talk about, at least, which is the most important thing for us. From the 1975 to the No Encore Top 5, and this week, it's pop songs that should have been massive. Craig, what's your criteria here? Where do you draw the line? Yeah, like this was a bit of an open-ended one. Um, it was kind of inspired by the fact I was very shocked to see that the 1975 hadn't had, at time of this um, podcast going out, a top 10 hit. I don't know if they'll they'll manage one with um, notes in a conditional form. But yeah, it was like for a band that are ostensibly like a kind of a big pop monster, they've yet to crack the top 10 in the UK or US. So this one, like considering my surprise with that, I was like, oh shit, okay. I, I personally went back I probably stuck to the last decade, but I was like looking at pretty straightforward pop songs, songs with bags of hook, like surefire things that could have been, you, you know, you could hear on radio stations across the land, but just never really did it or certainly didn't get the love and popularity that they warranted. They could be kind of critical darlings, like a lot of mine are, songs that I loved that you probably loved as well, that were just like they seem to have all the components to like fucking sit at the top of the charts for six weeks just didn't happen for some reason so i don't know what kind of criteria you looked at was it similar are we thinking along similar lines i pretty much copied your homework there craig yeah it's pretty much the same thing for me and i guess the best way to kind of explain it will be just to kick off my list so at number five for me this week of my drum by Nicola Roberts of Girls Aloud going it solo in 2011. Is this on your list? It's not on my list, but I like I it's definitely a good shout. It's oh my god, it's so grimesy, isn't it? <laughs> like it's ahead of its time. So it really forward is. thinking, yeah. Um which is maybe why it didn't quite crack. Um but yeah, like obviously the most underrated member of Girls Aloud and yeah, didn't really go far with this one. It's it's almost too sophisticated. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, a bit I get like yourself, saying. Dave. A bit like me, yeah, I have that problem as well. And yeah, this was like the first of a couple of singles off a record called Cinderella Eyes, and she never released another one after that. Uh, this peaked at number 27 on the UK singles chart and number 37 on the Irish singles chart. So it didn't even like, you know, didn't even have that kind of, you know, new manager bounce for a struggling football team as the yeah, first. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, non-girls-led single for for uh, for Nicola Roberts. Diplo is one of the songwriters on here. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I remember I remember being in 
pop press, and I remember Selena Murphy writing about this. I think she it was like when she would do the um, the songs of the Fortnite column in, in the magazine, and this was her, you know, the song of the Fortnite. And I remember she was like, "This is the new fucking wave. This is like this incredible." So confident, uh, barrage pop song with just hook after hook after hook. It follows on neatly from what she did before and it kind of carves her own path. It's going to be massive. And then it just wasn't. And I don't know why. I don't know why it didn't catch on. I know it does have hipster darling, critical darling cred. It yeah. absolutely does to this day. But it's kind of baffling. I wonder if it came out today, would it be a different story? Well, it's, it definitely kind of wears a bit of a Robin influence on a sleeve, right? And uh, I'm not sure if she was influenced by it or, you know, there was conversations with Diplo or that's the approach they're going for, but it would have been quite quickly after Robin was doing quite different stuff. So yeah, it seems like most of the major Robin copyists arrived maybe five years later. So yeah, she could have definitely ridden that wave, I would imagine. Uh, great, great choice. Um, okay, my number five... Considering it's a bit like of an old-fashioned team because it's, you know, what charted? What got to number one? Um, what should have been a hit? I'm going to show that I'm not 2008. I'm actually 3008. <laughs> it's not Black Eyed Peas. Do it. When I couldn't shut my mouth the last love that did me I was Twin Shadow with Old Love, New Love. Um, and yeah, like not the most forward-thinking song, but it was the song expressly written for a video game. Um, it appeared on Grand Theft Auto V, one of the b- biggest video games of all time, obviously. Song never charted anywhere, though. I'm sure like people that play that game have like really fond memories of it. Um, and, you know, in the game itself, um, Twin Shadow appeared as a DJ. Um like on a whole radio station was Radio Mirror Park or whatever it was. I thought this was like the moment he was going to become a megastar. Didn't happen and it still hasn't happened, Um, which I'm baffled by because he seems to have all the ingredients. This was like maybe less sophisticated than the Nicola Roberts song. Um, It's just instantly catchy. Fucking has that kind of high energy piano thing going for it. Didn't happen. I love the hammering of the piano keys, very Elton John, it's yeah. fucking cool. Uh, yeah, I, I remain baffled. I mean, the first ever time I heard a Twin Shadow song was when I heard Five Seconds, which remains an absolute stomper, like one of the better oh, pop songs out there. And yeah, it, like it's it's kind of strange, right? Like it, I know he recently had a song with Haim and like he's Saturdays, yeah, around and circling the edges and has that kind of cool crooner voice going on. But for whatever reason, it just, I don't know, like, like, I, I, like y- y- it's so interesting to kind of have these moments where you're like, well, they're clearly going to be massive and these people over here are not. And then like, I, like it's funny that you mentioned Black Eyed Peas there because I've said it on the show before, but I remember very, very specifically back in like, what, 2008 or there or thereabouts. Um, and this was like, you know, this was like a terrible beauty is born moment because I wasn't officially <laughs> a music journalist yet, but I remember hearing I Got a Feeling for the very fucking first time, like seeing like a video premiere on MTV or whatever. And I remember like derisively snorting and being like, that song is going to fucking go nowhere. And of course, <laughs> you couldn't escape it for years and still to this day. So what do I know? But yeah, this is, I love this song. <laughs> like, I just love it. Like, like that's all I need with this is that it makes me feel good. It came, yeah, like it came off the heels of Confess, which had five seconds. And like, he was doing that like, um, it was almost like night call in mo- like motorcycle letters vibe. 
his debut it was even better i think it was like super catchy lo-fi indie but then there was a bit of a gap and this turned up on the album eclipse and it was like the best thing on it and it was like him clearly going for a big statement and it sounded kind of empty and overproduced and like he's since like come back really well in terms of quality but i think that was like his big kind of major label push and it didn't quite suit him. So yeah, at least we got this. Number four for me is that dreaded thing, isn't it? It's when a movie uses a song kind of ironically. But but bear with me. Because I'm Beautiful Craig, that's Kerry Hilson with Pretty Girl Rock, which came out in October of 2010. And apparently, if, if I have my information correct here, Bill Withers wrote this song, which I need to triple check. <laughs> but uh, Kerry Hilson's one of those kind of ones, isn't she? That she just pops up here and there and never quite became gigantic. But like, the to tease my kind of preface story there, so I'm sitting in the IFI, right? In, um, yeah. I want to say 2014, 2015. And I'm watching The Rover, which is an Australian kind of apocalyptic movie with Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson. And I'm not sure if you've seen this film, Craig, have you? I've not, no. So it's very good. And it's one of those films as well where like, I remember like by the end of it, I was kind of like, I was like, oh, I'm just kind of, I'm getting really sick of these art house films where it's a, it's a slog and there's not much plot and it has a couple of good moments and that's kind of the point and it's not really enough, but oh damn, I'm still thinking about it two weeks later and I'm still thinking about it five years later. The Rover, it's a very grim film, but it's well worth checking out and it's yet further evidence, you know, that we've all kind of seen blossom now a bit more that Robert Pattinson's a really good fucking actor. So Robert Pattinson's character in the film is, is a uh, kind of slow and thus, you know, childlike. And there's a moment in the film where, and like I say, this film is stark and violent and grim and downbeat. And about halfway through the film, there's a moment where himself and Guy Pierce's character kind of set off towards this vast kind of desert area. And this song comes in over the soundtrack. And I sat there in the IFI and I genuinely thought something had gone wrong with the projector or the fucking digital copy of the film, whatever it was they were showing. I was like, what? It's so jarring. It's so out of place. It's just bizarre. It cuts to a scene where Robert Pattinson's character is sitting on his own in a car at night and he's singing along to this song in a very, very childlike way. And it's quite fucking devastating. Like, it's really, like, it's a moment of, like, serious empathy in this film of, like, there's no hope in this film. And it's just a moment yeah, that yeah, yeah. changes the tone and gives you this moment. And I think it's a beautiful moment for him as an actor. It's a daring as fuck moment for the director that could have gone horribly wrong. And some people might not like it at all. I thought it was an amazing choice. And I believe uh, that they originally wanted to get Don't You by the Pussycat Dolls, but couldn't afford it. So got this one instead. So ever since then, this song has kind of stayed with me. And even though, like, you know, the lyrics are quite ridiculous... I don't know, man. There's just something about it where I'm like, how is this not like a gigantic pop song? It's a fucking belter. It has all the hooks and all the locks. And yeah, it has a little bit of kind of that weird backstory that I love as well. 
Yeah, it's kind of throwaway in a good way. Kind of like what Charlie XCX does now when she kind of knowingly just does disposable pop, but it's just like, it's so irresistible. You're just like all in with it. I think it works um, in that kind of way. Um, so yeah, I wonder, did you, is it kind of because of the film connection to an extent, right? It's that context. Sometimes that brings it out. That's a huge reason. Yeah. Also like just in terms of the, the charting here, number 24 on the US Billboard Hot 100, number 53 on the UK singles chart and number 50 on the Irish singles chart. Yeah, for sure. There's that kind of extra connection to it. But like, I will say that like listening to it in a standalone setting, I don't listen to it ironically. I think it's a genuinely good pop song. Cool. Okay. My number four. Uh, I don't think I'm just looking now. Nope. Charted absolutely nowhere. Um, if Twin Shadow was kind of like missing a window of opportunity for some bizarre reason, I think this song might have been slightly ahead of its time. was Outre Nouveau, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, maybe if his name was easier to wrap your tongue around, he might have been bigger. The song was play-by-play. Play. Uh, it was released on the album Anxiety, which is a great 2013 pop record. It's kind of like bedroom pop, very confessional um, in a way that is like all the rage these days. Um, Outre Nouveau is a New York City um, artist, uh, a guy called Arthur Ashen. And he's kind of like, you know, quite self-deprecating, a bit reclusive um, in terms of like the media spotlight or declare or anything. He just puts the stuff out there. It's real like bedroom pop stuff. But when this arrived, I was like, Okay, it doesn't completely follow um, your verse, chorus, verse structure. It's more of a vamp. It's almost like a kind of Prince Purple Rain thing where it just keeps building and building and there's like this huge, almost like orgasmic release. But I think it taps into like that end of things and like quite forward thinking production, but also turn of the Millennium Boy Band stuff, the kind of the 90s chart R&B melodic acrobats and grooves. Um, But then, as I say, it's all like warped. Uh, there's nice pitch shifting, phase shifting, kind of almost J. Paul school um, of production. And yeah, when it arrived in 2013, it was like Critical Darling um, made Pitchfork songs of the year. I think it actually, it actually placed on this hipster index that was going at the time, where it's like, it was, it was trying to be a scientific index that measured the score of an album given by Pitchfork versus the number of Facebook shares it got. And then saying that like, oh, here's where like the fucking musiconomics, hipster music index ranks it. And it was like number 10 or something that year. But of course, it just like went nowhere. There is, I think this is my one choice where I'm like, okay, I can kind of understand how the odds were stacked against them and the chance of this going number one were slim to none. Um, but there is a, a kind of alternative universe where this was like raining high in the charts all summer long. Um, and it would have been a glorious one. Well, I guess speaking of alternative universes of sorts, my next act, this song is from 2006, but it harkens back to a very different era indeed.
at number 26 in the UK singles chart in the summer of 2006. It's the Pipettes and their Phil Spector-esque sound, this kind of pin-up girl group. And uh, like, if you look into the history of this band, it's kind of weird. There appear to be like 15 different members over the whole course. Yeah, of the I was going to say, which totally which fits I, in with the like the era they were going for. <laughs> kind of replaceable <laughs> singers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really, really odd. Yeah, and like I don't know. I mean, like the song sounds like a throwback by design, of course, and it's meant to be that kind of you know fifties, I guess, sixties dance, like dance hall type situation. And I mean, talk about a skyscraping song, right? I mean, like to talk like like one that, of course, is very knowing. You know, like talking about the instrumentation and then introducing kind of flourishes there, but they're back in band the cassettes, and effectively just <laughs> like building to this literal stomper. I mean, it's it's such a high reaching feel good. A call and response thing that like I remember around about this time in 2006 2007 it's when I started to get really fucking like I guess pretentious for lack of a better word about music where I would be like <laughs> <laughs> I would be like you know reading the hype machine and uh, the sound opinions message board and seeing all these kind of real musos and following their lead and like seeing like the top 100 songs of the year and pitchfork and all that kind of jazz and I remember just like someone in particular just recommending the Pipettes and saying like, this is the best pop song you'll ever hear. And I was like, well, that's a hell of a grand claim. It's hard to fight against. It's just incredibly carefree, brilliantly written, expertly performed. And I'm just kind of baffled as to how it wasn't like the biggest song of that year. Yeah, like I remembered at the time and I d- it's probably the one I liked most. I did find them overall a bit like too knowing and a bit too throwbacky like i'm surprised you were such a fan because this seems like the kind of group where you would be like oh it's a bit too cutesy and twee do you know what i mean like i guess the tunes were good good. enough that you look past it yeah 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 (laughs) yeah that was that was a total that was a total mood for a while like a couple of years prior to that um like the phil specter wall of sound thing being brought back was like i was all on board with that do you remember johnny boys you are the generation of bought more shoes and you get you put you get you deserve deserve. fucking incredible title incredible song yeah so i i I love anytime kind of specter is evoked uh in a musical sense not the dastardly man that he is but yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's also yeah, it's not necessarily quite specterish but i mean like i think you can throw like lost campesinos into this conversation i know what you're saying oh, yeah, you're talking about that kind of like that kind of like enemy covers like skins all that kind of like that very kind of perhaps obnoxious british indie explosion uh where it's like oh like forget about razor light and block party these guys are over here i mean yeah i think ultimately the complexion of that could be a bit off-putting but the fact that i heard the song before i even saw any related aesthetics was like yeah, this is just like this to me. This song is as good as Biology by Girls Loud or The Promise by Girls Loud. I think it's genuinely that good. It's top tier, incredibly glossy, wonderfully executed pop music and everyone needs it in their life. Nice. Okay, my number three is a song um, from an artist that's got a lot of critical acclaim with her last couple of releases and she's delivering more like weightier um records that kind of speak to culture quite a lot um delve into r&b and kind of quite meditative but um it might have been a kind of reaction to the fact that this was pure pop and it didn't really go anywhere commercially Yeah, Solange with Losing You, I adore this song. Um, I tell a lie about chart performances because it got to number four 
in the Flanders um, chart in Belgium. Um, but that was about it. Yeah, so this is a Dev Hines production, um, which you can probably tell just from hearing it. It's incredible, kind of throwbacky 80s. Like, I get big Madonna vibes off this. Just before, as well, we were, like, utterly bored of kind of Tropicalia. Like, there's just a lilt and a dash of it here, which totally works, I think, with the synth. Um, and, yeah, this was off a, an EP uh, called True, which I have, which is great. Um, it was a proper mood, but she, like, quickly moved on from it. And, um, of course, people that are into music will know she's released some great albums since. Uh, people less so will know her from, like, The Elevator Incident with Jay-Z and Beyonce, and, of course, as Beyonce's sister. That's the line I constantly say as well, that Losing You is a better song than Beyonce's ever managed. And I stand by it. Oh, I support you in that claim, man. It's a better song than Thank a lot you, of people sir. have managed. It's, um, yeah, I mean, like, I wonder... If, if if it wasn't for the song, would we have had Everything is Embarrassing? I know it's the same kind of connection there, but I mean, like, I, I love that. He was on a run, all right, thing. yeah. Yeah, but the I love like, connection as well. Madonna as well is like a, is, is a huge touchstone. That just that, like, like I was going to use a dumb word, like unapologetic, but that's just like unabashed, uh, straight up, like big, booming, like fucking immaculately put together so confident song with like behind the scenes and in front of the microphone it's her finest hour i mean i know that the critical plots have come along hugely over the last couple of records but give me this version of solange over more meditative solange which is still very very good but yeah i know what you're saying of, I, I almost want for a girls allowed-esque just like singles career of like give me 20 of these you know just like you know you know she can easily do it that's the thing you know what i mean yeah. it's just it'd be fucking, uh, like a 10 track album like that. and people are like oh you can't have a 10 i'm like why not why not <laughs> if it's this good yeah, but she's no, picked her own path it's... and fair play to her. Um, also, like the video was like so uh, tied to that as well. She was in the townships in South Africa and those kind of African rhythms. And of course, years before Drake discovered South Africa. So take that, Drake. Dave, you're up. Back to the summer of 2006 with a song that I don't think charted anywhere. I certainly couldn't find any information. Let's see what happens. By Your Side by Sally Shapiro, which is uh, both the name of the lead singer there, but also it's it's a pseudonym, essentially, uh, of a Swedish vocalist and an Italo disco synth-pop duo comprised of Shapiro and a guy called Johan uh, Azjeborn. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, this project is no longer around. It was effectively a 10-year situation and done by 2016. Again, this is a discovery that came along when I was trawling all those kind of internet forums with all the cool anorak dudes who knew about better music than me, and it stayed with me ever since. There's actually an extended version of this track that I would highly recommend. It's already kind of clocking in at around six minutes or, there, or thereabouts. Um, it's just, like to me, the most perfect example of glacial pop music and a, a great love song the synths are unbelievable her vocal is perfect on it it's one i've listened to a million fucking times and i i love getting lost in its maze uh i I just think it's a perfect song and like it's funny because like i remember when you suggested doing this list and i was like 
I mean, is this going to be a good top five? Is it just going to be us gushing? And I mean, fair enough, it probably is. But like, I was just but like, the are clips we are just, great. This <laughs> is the thing. I was just like, are we going to be saying the same thing for every song? Probably. What can we really say apart from this is a banger? I like putting this list together, especially when I had my top five and I had my clips. I was like, this is just the greatest shit ever. I'm having so much fun putting this one together. But yeah. also, crucially, my top three, um, I had them immediately. Just immediately. It was like, okay, well, the one, two, three, done. And I guess we'll see what else comes. And it was, again, as, as these lists always are, kind of hard to get five in there, but like, uh, or rather stop at five. But yes, yeah, so I should be all be by your side has been this kind of touchdown. It's been by my side, Craig. Ever it clearly has. It, when you say the, per- the perfect, perfect example of this kind of music, uh, Johnny Jewel will be massively pissed. <laughs> um, I presume they've like crossed paths in like some uber cool venues. Like this is like a really good example of that kind of Italo disco that came back right around that time obviously chromatics doing a lot of that it's just such an enjoyable genre like even the kind of the weaker stuff and this is like um this is like a prime example of like a really good piece of it and like chromatics are great at it but even the kind of lesser acts just by virtue of like doing that sound and having those synths it's all listenable do you know what i mean it's such ear candy and it's so kind of evocative um so yeah yeah really like that one all right my number two, and Dave, you could probably telegraph this. I think you almost did. Here it is. telegraph it i fucking named it <laughs> <laughs> you named it but not in my list uh, sky ferrera with everything is embarrassing um a co-write with Devante hines again um he had quite a run like again like in a different era he would have been a quincy jones type i know he's having a hugely successful career he's working with some of the best people in music and uh, quite rightly but he should be like max martin levels um of famous just in terms of his talent and sky ferrera of course like last heard that's heard probably on that Charlie XCX album, right? Prior to that, she released like one new song. I remember listening to it and enjoying it in like on holiday last year. Remember those? Um, but then kind of silence again. Silencio. Um, <laughs> of course, she was also in the roadhouse in Twin Peaks to return, nursing some nasty looking scabs in a boot, um, which totally fit with the with the vibe. But yeah, like Sky Ferrer, like she was a, you know, a cameo in that show. She didn't appear on stage like the likes of Chromatics, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Eddie Vedder or James Hurley. Um, and that kind of says a lot about her like career thus far. She's kind of ducked the spotlight quite a lot when it seemed like everything was set up for her to kind of take over and really be that big indie voice in terms of kind of um, the popular side of female artistry. Um, I don't know if it'll ever really happen for her. I don't really know what's going on with her, but it seems like she is either dealing with other stuff or just doesn't care that much. I don't know. But with songs like this, she should be massive. Well, she's talked about before having problems be, of being like locked out of her own kind of music by record label executives. And that yeah, kind of there's stuff. been label awfulness. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it does feel like her moment was around 2013 and, you know, you kind of want to capitalise a bit further. I think she'll now be a niche concern in terms of, but then again, she was never going to fucking crack the radio, I suppose. But yeah, I love, I realise Guy Ferrer quite a lot. Nighttime, My Time, the album This Is Off, I think is just full of absolute bells. Oh, I reviewed it for Drowned and Sound at the time. 
I remember I gave it 8 out of 10 and then when the review went online they had a 7 on there and I was still kind of like new and I didn't really know anybody and I was like I'm not going to like challenge the reviews editor I assume he's just changed my score based on what I wrote and I'm, I, I actually feel like it, it might have just been a mistake imagine that happening yeah, yeah. like fucking all the stands will be out to get you and it's like <laughs> Um, most of what she's done I really enjoy there's definitely like a, an argument that like a lot of it doesn't have a ton of depth um, it sounds like the new sure. record could have that although we are fast approaching a Dear Tommy situation with that album so hopefully it arrives hopefully it's great but even, she's a yeah. fucking incredible star performer but yeah it's there's all these contradictions and complexions that also kind of overshadow which I guess kind of works for the character and, and, and this kind of dark pop you know like, like it does yeah, work it does. In, in terms of a legacy but also how are you paying the fucking bills, mate? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, the the album, uh, Nighttime My Time, was full of, like, great hooks and stuff. And you think, like, she's a ready-made star. But there is, like, an element of self-sabotage as well, I think. Even just, like, with the cover being, like, her uh, topless, but, like, kind of looking very vulnerable and it being, like, an almost, like, Hitchcockian kind of shower scene. She was almost, like, too vulnerable or too kind of real to really be that pop star that I guess the labels were trying to mold her into being. So, like, fair play if she wants to wants to um, head her own direction. But, yeah, sublime production as well. I think Ariel Rekshad um, had a co-production on this as well. He does tremendous work these days as well. So, yeah, we'll see. But this one is um, an all-time great for me. Craig mentioned holidays there. Last year, we went on a sort of holiday to Bergen in Norway for a wedding Did. of Cole Morrigan, formerly of this show and always in our hearts. Also in my heart for quite a long time is this lady at number one. Effortlessly cool, Bergen native Annie. And the song is Heartbeat, taken from the 2004 album Animal. I don't understand why Annie isn't the biggest pop star in the world. I just don't get it. Uh, she would follow up that record a few years later with another one that was absolutely fantastic. Everything she does, pretty much I enjoy. It's that kind of, again, glacial kind of synth pop. Uh, Heartbeat is three minutes and five seconds long. It's an incredible stroll of a tune. It just has all of the hallmarks of what a pop song should be for me. Um, mm. Gets me invested early doors. There's an emotion to it. The vocal is really irresistible. Uh, the the kind of the building kind of drum crunch there is is terrific. It has a wonderful coda attached to it. Uh, she's kind of got that kind of mixture of like you know, kind of like dead-eyed confidence where you're like, I don't know, <laughs> no, like everything that's going on, there's a mystery here. And, you know, like there's almost a sense of like it being, you know, like oh, this kind of candy-coated pop music that might actually be bad for you somehow deep down or maybe even kind of, like, there's a slight sense of danger. Uh, Singles-wise, some of the stuff she's put out is just absolutely incredible. There's that film, The Guest from a few years ago and the Berlin Breakdown remix of Antonio pops up. The previous uh, single of that, just Antonio on its own, was one of the best songs of the year came out. I would highly recommend people to check out her work. Uh, she's not talked about enough. You know, she's just not. I mean, she gets referenced by some of the cool popsters out there, but it just never really happened <laughs> on a mainstream level. 
even a song as throwaway as fucking chewing gum is an absolute belter and she had a really good performance of it when she was on like i think it was t4's pop world back in the day uh it's just oh man remember that uh, who could forget uh yeah what year was this released again this was like 2004 2005 was it okay 2004 2004 yeah yeah those heady Um, days yeah and like you can clearly hear it's going in you know it's, it's very poppy it's going in that dance disco direction but it still has that like kind of punkier like indie rock vibe it's like to win over a bit of cred with all the people with like straightened haircuts um it's kind of of its time but yeah I, I really like it that's good enough for me craig i'm very very curious as to considering the last two songs have been your whole list has been incredibly craig but also the last two have been like <laughs> Incredibly Craig, a new sitcom coming to NBC Thursday nights. <laughs> Totemics pop songs that I know you adore. I adore them too. What the hell have you left out? What's number one? This this is the most brazen, obvious one, I think. And this is an example of a song that was a hit, but should have been a number one. <laughs> and I'm doing this one for no encore. What is this underground discovery that you've made? Max Martin was robbed. (laughs) (laughs) That is Ariana Grande, Dave. (laughs) You mightn't have heard from her in some time. And the song is Into You. Um, Yeah, so of course, listen, we're not going to be too upset for Ariana Grande. She's done just fine since. But yeah, like this was released, I think, just before she went like really over the top and like became the the song was everywhere. This was a hit. What are you talking about? It was a minor hit, Dave. This should have been like fucking number one for three months. This should be your biggest song and it's nowhere near it. Like a really, this was obviously, of course, it, like it, it had the last laugh because it was crowned No Encore's song of 2016, which is the biggie. Um, That's what you want. But I think this is like still criminally slept on. Seriously, like I know, you know, it's Max Martin. How was it not a bigger hit? Like I'm looking at the placings. I think I got to number 14, right? But actually at the time, it was the first time she'd fallen out of the top 10 since like 2014. And you see the songs around, like Dangerous Woman was eight. Um, Side to Side was four. And then she's just like, No Tears After Cry, three. Uh, God is Woman, eight. She's into like, just a, a rake of number ones with Thank You Next, Seven Rings, Break Up With Your Girlfriend. All fine songs and pretty decent, but like pale in comparison to this. This should have been the one. This album also has Touch It in the back end, which to me is like almost as good as this song. It's a fucking incredible song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Into is amazing. I, I, I'll say this, right? Did not see this coming and I'm glad you <laughs> did it though because I, I said before, like I worked in an office there a while ago where it was basically Ariana Grande FM and it was like, okay, cool. Thanks for taking an artist that I quite enjoyed and now I don't want to hear her anymore. And of course, you know, the oversaturation of her releases didn't help either. But so I haven't heard Into You in fucking forever. And I had this kind of brief moment of like, is that what I think it is? This song is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's incredible. But I'm, but I'm, but I'm challenging it. This is like, this is very, very, this is borderline, Craig. This is a gigantic It's borderline. Song. But I think considering at the time, um, and you know what, I kind of picked it for nostalgia reasons because I associate it so much with the show. Like it's one of our songs and we were so hyped up about this song. Like it seemed guaranteed to be number one. And we've called some of them before uh, in recent years, um, much lesser songs that I'm like, oh, 
I, I get what you're saying. Obviously, this isn't a case of an artist that was like slightly missing out or like an injured song that the people just didn't get. But it's like a case of kind of a song slipping a bit between the cracks um, and not living to its full potential. So it is now. It's my number one. All right. That's a uh, case closed. The defense rests. You're you've gotten away with it again, Fitzpatrick. So that's top five. I really enjoyed doing this one. We will do a write up on this one and we'll put it together yeah. a playlist. We'll put it up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash no encore in a few days. I generally like to wait a few days so that people have heard the show, you know, I mean, like maybe I'm just like, like overthinking this whole process, but uh, that's what we do at the show. We think on our feet and Craig and I are going to have a lot of thinking to do and we're going to wreck our own fucking heads now because next week's top five we threatened it before we're doing it we're doing top five sub genres is there anything you want to say in advance craig because i've got one of them already but i'm also kind of like this could be a fucking nightmare (laughs) yeah we're gonna see um i think this could be one of the best ones i think there's plenty of material we could go down some very weird rabbit holes i'm excited about this one is it worst sub genres like is that specifically what we're doing or are we doing like like is does quality come into it like is it if they're worth (laughs) talking about if they're ridiculous I, i feel like top five most kind of ridiculous or bizarre there could be stuff in there you like right but it needs to be like what is going on with this weird little fucking ecosystem of music that's warm somehow um yeah it's not going to be like some fucking really tasteful genre that we think is slept on and we're recommending tunes it's like we've lifted a rock and we're like look at what's crawling underneath yeah i mean you can probably guess my number one already so if you can just leave it to me please <laughs> like, like, i've got okay. <laughs> this episode of no encore was engineered by sonic architect adam shanahan thank you so much adam for all the work that you do check out his music at my fault always worth checking out uh oh the listening corner this week uh as as mentioned i listened to the last dance soundtrack quite a bit uh i listened to chromatic shadow today because it's today uh, as of the podcast recording marks somehow three years since twin peaks the return debut oh. on television so i went back to the ending sequence from part two where chromatic show up in the roadhouse and play shadow and it's just the most incredible transcendent moment ever i uh, listened to a bit of u2 because your boy alexis petretis and the guardian dropped u2's top 40 tracks ever which uh has hold me throw me kiss me kill me they're number one at number 34 oh really yeah check it out man um so okay to listen to some u2 and it's one of the things where like you throw in u2 for the first time in a while and you're like yeah, they've got they've really got some good songs, don't they? <laughs> good bands. They're <laughs> good not, at music and not fairness a bad to band. the lads. Yeah. Have you listened to either of the two big album releases from last Friday that we didn't review, Craig? Charlie XCX and Perfume Genius? I actually haven't got around to Charlie. Um I'm going to this weekend, but Perfume Genius, yeah, I'll be playing in the background as I work and it's been going down a treat. Um set my heart on fire immediately to record. And like Mike Hadrius is just it's his fifth record and um, I think it's his most fully realised yet, um, which is saying something because he's been outstanding for years, uh, really quite slept on. But like, this is such a good kind of juxtaposition of uh, immediate melodies, uh, just very kind of mainstream, big hearted sounds, but also like dissonant things. It just kind of keeps you guessing all the time and the songcraft is incredible. So yeah, check it out. Um, people, if you haven't heard it already. It's fantastic. I'm absolutely loving it. It's sublime. Yeah. He's really really impressive like the vision is all over it and it's interesting because like it does similar stuff to the 975 album in that it has interludes quite early doors but it's proof that i was you can making those comparisons yeah yeah, yeah. If, like you, if you have the skill set and the the feeling of like he's earned this across all the previous records like this is hugely. 
I think I think it's his most complete work and it's it's an absolute knockout so check that one out as for Charlie XX's lockdown album how I'm feeling now uh, I'm bored man um, it's fine it's a totally okay people are going crazy about it being like it's fucking incredible it's reinventing music I don't think it is I think she's done better stuff before I'm having the same problems I had with the Charlie album from last year I think the previous work is better I think Pop 2 is better I just okay. kind of feel like it's gotten a bit one dimensional at this stage it's kind of like yeah I mean what else you got it's they're fine songs but it's just a bit too I've heard it all before and also yeah it got 7.7 on Pitchfork they put that uh, that review out on Twitter and cue Stan Meltdown <laughs> as people wanted the journalist to be fired for a 7.7 out of 10 oh, review rating that the journalist doesn't even decide themselves anyway uh, it's it's grand I'm just I think I'm I think I'm I'm off the Charlie XCX train which I didn't think I would be I thought she really was the future of pop music and it's just a bit kind of circular now for me anything else That's any more dad rock for you this week or yacht rock or anything like that i'm still working my way through to stilly dan um back catalog they're incredible uh <laughs> donald fagan's solo album um is incredible as well as first solo record yeah highly recommend um and also checking out their classic albums documentary for asia which is just so much fun um do you think you'll be enticed into the world of steely dan dave not when I'm too busy listening to Linkin Park's second album, Meteora, and thinking, this didn't get a fair <laughs> shake. It's actually pretty fucking good. And on that note, I've completely my name lost is Dave <laughs> His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. New No Popcorn coming soon. Lost episode coming soon on Patreon. Back next week. Love yous all. podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of a Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's a Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central, only on PBS. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.